The title we are discussing on episode 72 breaks a lot of the usual rules of New Reads November. For one thing, it's a middle grade book, and we usually only cover YA during this special series. For another, it was published two years ago as of this recording, and New Reads November books have usually been published within the last 12 months. Those rules went out the window for Jessica Townsend's Nevermore, The Trials of Morgan Crow the title most requested by the SSR community for New Reads November 2019. You've got to give the people what they want, right? Plus, rules are made to be broken. It's fitting that we should forget the rules for this episode, listeners, because that's exactly what the author has done in Building the World of Nevermore, the first title in a series of the same name. Before I picked up this book myself, I heard from many of my fellow bookworms that it was the closest thing they'd found to Harry Potter, which is obviously a serious compliment. In this episode, you'll hear me draw many of those Potter parallels myself, though my guests and I also talk about the importance of setting it apart as the unique and wonderful work that it is, all on its own. This is a big book with lots going on, and we barely scratched the surface in this episode, which just means that you're going to have to read it yourself if you haven't already. The good news is that we didn't have time for many spoilers, so you should be pretty safe there. I think we should just go ahead and jump into the episode, but not before I introduce my guest. Every couple of months, I like to bring an educator onto the show to give us that teacherly perspective. And since middle school teachers in particular know all about what's hip and cool with the kids these days, I thought that New Reads November was the perfect moment. Say hello to this week's guest, Alex Fahey. Alex has been teaching for six years in classrooms from Hawaii to South Korea to her home state of Georgia. She is currently a seventh grade English and language arts teacher. Alex has always been an avid reader, and when she was in middle school herself, she was reading books by steamy authors like Kay Hooper, Nora Roberts, and Sandra Brown. When it was time for her to step into the teacher role, Alex started reading YA and middle grade books, of the more age-appropriate variety, so that it would be easier to connect with her students, which she's been doing ever since. Percy Jackson, The Kane Chronicles, and Fablehaven are among her favorites. When Alex isn't reading or in the classroom, she loves hanging out with her family, Netflix, Chick-fil-A, Spectacle Desserts, Hello, Black Tap Milkshakes, and traveling. Follow Alex on Twitter at Teacher A. Fahey and Instagram at OurLives underscore A. Fahey. If you're not already, now is also a great time to start following SSR on social media. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at SSRPod and on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. With just one week left in New Reads November and a handful of episodes left before we kick off a new year of literary throwbacks, you won't want to miss out on any of our latest news. Not to mention the fact that following the show on social media is a great way to show your support. Spread the love by tagging the episodes you're listening to in your Instagram story. You can also show your SSR love by leaving a five-star rating or review on iTunes. These are more important than you might think in helping new listeners to find the show. You can rock your SSR pride by shopping for bookmarks, t-shirts, and tote bags at www.ssrpodcast.com shop or really own that super fandom by becoming a Patreon sponsor. Patrons contribute a few dollars per month, like as little as one, to the production of the show in exchange for a few exclusive rewards, including monthly newsletters, bonus episodes, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, for all the information. The holidays are upon us, and if you're anything like me, that probably means you have some travel planned. You're going to need plenty of good things to listen to, and I can help you out at a great price. Next time you want to listen to an audiobook, try Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about, but it'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. When I shop for audiobooks on Libro.fm, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie books are magic, but you can choose any story you want. Time to get into episode 72. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Alex. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're talking I'm today. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you. This is exciting. <laughs> You're a listener of the show, and I always think it's so fun to have listeners on who like kind of know how things go. So this is going to be fun, and we're talking on a Saturday morning, which feels like a nice treat, like a good way to get into the weekend. Yes, definitely. I am like totally putting off doing homework and grading papers so same I have like three more books to read and this feels like a nice like break in doing all of that reading we're talking today about Nevermore which I'm gonna say was maybe like the most requested title for New Reads November this year okay so many people wanted to hear about it my hope and my plan was to only talk about books for New Reads November that had been published within like the last year. Um, So I was looking Mm -hmm. mostly at 2018 and 2019 titles, but Nevermore was published originally in hardcover in 2017. But it really Mm -hmm. wasn't on my radar last year. I'm not sure why. And it hit my radar hard over the last couple of months. I think a lot of people maybe came to it in paperback, but so many people wanted it for New Reads November. And I selfishly wanted to read it. So uh, I thought it would be perfect for us to talk about. Fun fact, it's also our only middle grade title that we're doing in New Reads November this year. Everything else is YA. So that's kind of a cool distinction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, came across the book with a, like a coworker of mine. Okay. She really liked it. And so usually whatever she posts on Instagram, I just like pick up and read just because she's an awesome teacher. So that's how I kind of came to it. Plus middle grade is what I teach. So I like to give book recommendations to the kids whenever I can. You got to be up on all the cool tween pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Had you read it before we decided to read it for the podcast? Yeah, I read it in May of 2019, and then I just reread it just for this podcast. Okay, cool. So, yes, it was published originally in October of 2017, came out last year, 2018, in paperback. Originally published in Australia, the author Jessica Townsend is Australian. She was born in Australia, grew up on the Golden Coast, and I feel like I know a lot about Australian geography only because of the show um, Instant Hotel on Netflix. Shout out to Instant Hotel. If you haven't watched it, you should. It's really fun, and we'll eat up your entire weekend. But Jessica Townsend also spent some time in London. And so a lot of her influence in this book comes Mm -hmm. from London and just like a lot of the traveling that she's done. This book has just like kind of crushed it. It's won a ton of awards. I pulled out a couple. It was a New York Times bestseller, indie book bestseller, number one kids indie pick. It's gotten like a million awards in Australia. It was the number one Amazon best children's book of the year, Publishers Weekly Fall Flying Start Pick, Time Magazine Top YA and Children's Book of the Year. I mean, it goes on and on. So 
This mm-hmm. book has made a huge splash. Uh, the movie is in the works with Fox, so I'm super excited to see that, especially now having read the book. Really what I'm trying to say here is that this book is like big, and I think it's going to continue to be big, so I'm glad that I finally had the chance to read it because it is hard for me sometimes to like find the time to read the newer stuff when I'm catching up on all mm-hmm. my SSR reading. I think that the first thing maybe we talk about is the Harry Potter parallels because I'd heard a lot yes. about that, and when people were messaging me about the book they were like this is the closest thing I've read to Harry Potter since I was a kid and I'm immediately skeptical um of course mm-hmm. because we all love Harry Potter and I think I'm gonna say that I get it and I'd love your thoughts on like whether it was just enough Harry Potter parallels if it was too much like what do you say to those comparisons because I think that that's played into the hype around this book I do and I always get really skeptical as well because Harry Potter is like a huge part of my life and I read The Unwanted. Have you read that series? I haven't. It's like a newer series as well. And it was like, this is a mix between Hunger Games and Harry Potter. And I read it and I love the series, but I didn't see any like huge Harry Potter parallels. So when I saw this, I think that it is the closest thing, but I think it was a nice balance. Like you have this magical world, but I don't know if it's, I don't know, Harry Potter is always going to be super special. So I think there were parallels, but it wasn't like, okay, this is the next greatest fantasy like book that's going to be coming out. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um. No, it totally makes sense. I hear what you're saying. And I, I agree. I almost wish that I hadn't known about the comparisons because I mm-hmm. was looking for mm-hmm all of the overlaps. I think that may have been a disadvantage only because I was like a little bit harsher every time something came up that felt like it was really close to a Harry Potter thing where I was like, oh, like sort of a copycat move. And I don't say that to insult the author at all because I genuinely think this is a great world that she's built Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm fully going to read the rest of the series. But I do think that like you get yourself into a little bit of trouble anytime you fall into the footsteps of a famous book or a famous series or a famous author because mm-hmm. then readers who know the other series so well can't help but look for like those similarities and I found myself doing that a lot and I had to stop about halfway through because I was like okay you know I found all the similarities noted yes it's similar to Harry Potter in a lot of ways um, but I didn't want to get carried away because I also didn't want to take away from the very unique world that Jessica Townsend has built with this book which yeah. is very different than Hogwarts I would say that the, mm-hmm. the settings in some ways felt like more extreme maybe than the Harry Potter world in some way you have this like kind of heavy gothic setting at the beginning really dark world that she's coming from in the republic and then she goes to nevermore which is like wacky and silly and zany and crazy in a way that like the Mm -hmm. magical world of hogwarts isn't like it's cool and interesting and obviously like magical but i think that the world of nevermore is a little bit like funnier there's some more like Mm -hmm. puns that are included in the language it just was a little bit less like serious than the harry potter world yeah i thought of it as like almost like kansas versus oz type of you have this like really serious home where she comes from and then everything kind of gets brighter, more colorful. And they even say, like, when they get onto the campus of the Wondrous Society, like, it's, you know, a bit more. Everything is, is felt a little bit 
bit more. So I do think like her world is definitely different where Hogwarts is almost a little bit in the past, you know, like they use quills and they wear these cloaks and it's like in modern time, but then they're like removed from it. Whereas like Nevermore, it's like there's all these technological advances that you don't see. I wish that she had spent a little bit more time like giving us more details about the world. Like I know like it was already a long book, but I was like, tell me more, like tell me more about the Brawly Trolleys and like, what does this exactly look like? Like how do people really grab the umbrella and yeah no I agree but I think that's also the marker of like a great series in the making um because I feel like I do have so many other questions that I want answered Mm -hmm. and I'm eager to be back in this world Mm -hmm. so there is a second book that's already out I think I mentioned that it's called Wondersmith the Calling of Morgan Crow and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get that for my big two-week trip that I have coming up because I think it's like a perfect long Mm -hmm. flight book because it's like a lot of pages but not necessarily like hard to read and then there's a third book coming out I believe in the spring of next year spring of 20 20 called Hollow Fox. So this series is going to keep going. What I found mm-hmm. was that she planned like at least three books in the series, so I'm not sure if there are more coming after the third book. She took 10 years to write Nevermore, which wow. again, like sort of reminiscent a little bit of J.K. Rowling. She talks about like the files and files and files of information that she has about the world. She spent a ton of time on the world building. And I think for a piece like this, like you kind of have to because there's just so many like little elements that you want to keep straight as you're moving from different settings and interesting acting with different characters. So I always find that's fascinating just like as a reader, the world building is always like mm-hmm. so cool to me and it has been a while possibly since the first time I read Harry Potter since I was like so taken with a world. For me, I like essentially pulled an all-nighter to read this book, uh, full disclosure because I'm smack in the middle of this like crazy mm-hmm. reading marathon right now for the show and I stayed up until like one o'clock last night to finish. It's been a long time since I did that and I have to say that up front I was like oh no like I'm tired like I like this book so far but I don't know that I want to stay up until one but as tired as I was I was really enjoying it and I Mm -hmm. think it's potentially been since I was like a teenager reading the later books in the Harry Potter series since I felt that way since I was like you Mm -hmm. know what I'm excited to stay up for a couple more hours like this world is cool I want to find out more about what's going on these characters are cool so that was sort of like my first impression I started reading it on the subway like two days ago and I was like oh wow I think this might be as good as everybody's saying yeah I really like it and talking to my students some of them it's a reading bowl book so I actually do book talks in my classroom and like a couple of them chose this book and like they they like it as well I think it lived up to the type and I was glad that I gotta talk about it today yay I think I'm gonna even get my husband to read it which feels like a victory because he was looking at me reading it the other day and I think it's because it was like it's such a like a big chunky book hate to keep drawing these Harry Potter comparisons because I know that I said Mm -hmm. that we shouldn't do that but it does look very much like a Harry Potter paperback and my husband was like hmm what is that Um, and I explained it to him and I was telling him about the hype and he's like very interested in it and that rarely happens Mm -hmm. like even as the book person that I am he's very resistant to all of my book recommendations and so the fact that like I didn't even have to sell him that hard on this one I thought was interesting so as soon as you and I are done talking today I'm gonna like casually slip it onto his nightstand (laughs) um, and I can't wait to hear what he thinks about it but let's talk a little bit more about Morgan herself so we meet Morgan she's living in this as we mentioned this sort of like gothic world called the Republic her dad is this very serious kind of mean politician he's a chancellor Mm -hmm. we get sort of this like prologue of him where he's walking out of his house one morning 
and addressing the press corps and explaining that he lost his daughter and she's passed away and he's like so grateful for everybody's support and he's making a bid for re-election so it definitely feels sort of like a photo op that he's doing Mm -hmm. this and like playing the part of the grieving dad um and then, of course, we get the flashback. We know now that he has this daughter that's gone, and now we're going to flashback mm-hmm. and find out what happened. So Morgan mm-hmm. is, like, living her life. But things are a little heavy because she's what they call a cursed child. She was born on this particular day um, called Eventide, and um, all kids that are born on that day are cursed to die on their 12th birthday. Just sort of like the calendar system of this world is such that, like, they have these ages that are approximately 12 years long. And if you're born on this particular day you're going to die on sort of like the next equivalent of that particular day. So she's 10 years old. She's almost 11. And the reality of the fact that she only has a year left to live is starting to set in on her, which is really scary and upsetting. And on top of this curse that she's living with, where she knows that she has this really short life to live, she's the town scapegoat. And it's sort of unclear to the reader, I think, at the beginning, like whether or not the fact that all of these things seem to go wrong around her is considered part of the curse or if it's just something that people are like using against her like it's sort of unclear how much of it we know is based on the curse that she's living with and how much of it is just like the fact that her family doesn't like her what was your Mm -hmm. first impression of like this part of the story and her I mean her dad was like a really well-drawn character I thought um and I'm Mm -hmm. eager to learn more about him but what did you think about this part of it this like dark sort of Kansas-esque if we're talking in terms of the Wizard of Oz world so you get where it opens up like with the kitchen cat dying and the kitchen cook like just like well I like the cat and Morgan's like yeah me too she's like oh obviously so you get this like sense that she's kind of like oh she knows she's gonna get blamed for it there's like a tally board in the kitchen of all the things that have that she's caused Mm -hmm. Um, and then I thought like the saddest part of this beginning was when like I don't know the like the title but the social worker is visiting the dad and it's just like here are all the things that you're responsible for and the dad's like won't won't look her in the eyes won't look the daughter in the eyes morgan's just sitting on this like couch the lady's like afraid to look at her afraid to touch her like afraid to drink the tea that's like next to her i think it was a good couple of chapters to show how lonely Morgan's life is and that she, as an like as a almost 11-year-old, has taken this burden of all these things that happen are my fault. It was just sad. You're thinking of this poor girl and her parents won't look at her. Her mom, like she's responsible for her mom's death. Like, you know, like that's kind of like um, hinted at, like in the first part when the dad's giving his speech. And I mean, I just thought like the author did this part so well where you're just like, you just can't help but feel really sorry and sad and like where is this going to go like if she's going to die from a world building perspective I loved sort of the protocol associated with her being a cursed child you talked about the social worker character I think she came from something called like the office of the registry of of cursed children and weirdly I love when authors think through sort of like this bureaucratic government part of the world that they build obviously in Harry Potter sorry listeners we're just going to keep drawing the parallels it's fine I'm not the first to do it in Harry Potter obviously we get the Ministry of Magic, which plays such an integral part in the series throughout. And 
similarly, although like it doesn't play as big of a role, we do have this office of the registry of cursed children in Nevermore. And the fact that there's this whole like process and protocol around how these kids are handled and there's people assigned Mm -hmm. to their cases that come and like check in with the families once a month. I think that that just like grounds the story in a really interesting way. Like these are things that have been thought through so much and the details are so impressive. Even the fact that like the social worker shows up with all of these bills that people are sending to Morgan's family for the things that she's supposedly responsible for, like medical bills for people who have fallen and like need to be taken Mm -hmm. care of or like repair bills for things that have broken in houses. Um, And at a certain Mm -hmm. point, the dad is like, yeah, whatever, like I'll just pay it. And I think he's just so resigned to the fact that she's going to die because they're all prepared for that. And uh, I thought that that was like another sad thing. Like the fact that he is like, whatever, she's probably going to die in a year anyway. So like, I'll just pay until it's over. And I don't really want to talk about it anymore. He also just wants to save face as a politician. Well, and like he even like the saddest thing, she's like, oh, well, I saw your tutor quit. Um, we'll get someone in, but there's a shortage. And he's like, you know, it's just a waste. Like she's going to die. And so the lady's like, the social worker doesn't want anything to do with Morgan. But at the same time, she's like, well, she, we don't think her children are like wasteful. So she's like kind of in her like own political job mind as well. Like she might agree, but then her job saying like, no, 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 we, you know, we're going to still like fight till the end and give her these tutors or whatever. And the dad's just like, no, I'm good. Yeah. It's this weird tension where they're kind of trying to figure out like what opportunities they can and should offer her knowing that she's only going to be around for another year versus like not wanting to be horrible people, which it becomes evident like with every chapter that her dad is a horrible person. Then there's this exciting thing that happens. So Morgan finds out that there's this thing happening called Bid Day. Um, And as a former sorority girl, there were some um, sort of other associations that I had with Bid Day. But I thought that was like kind of a fun way to like call back to people's personal experiences. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. know if the author like was involved in Greek life or involved in any other kind of organization that had a Bid Day. I don't know if other organizations do. They probably do. Um, But that just kind of made me laugh because immediately I was like, oh yeah, like the day that I found out what sorority I was going to be in. Um, But Morgan finds out that there's this Bid Day event going on and her dad's going to go basically as like a political photo op again because like his whole life right now is about photo ops he's not a very well liked politician Mm -hmm. people see him as cold and unfeeling and disconnected and he is all of those things so good radar everyone and he's basically going to go to bid day to like to put on a good show and like be part Mm -hmm. of something that's positive and benefits children the idea of bid day kind of gave me a call back to the hunger games and what was, what's the event called? The Reaping when they all... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously like not as dark and scary as the Reaping mm-hmm. in the Hunger Games, but it was a similar idea of like the whole town is going to gather, like the whole population is going to be in one place to witness this like major milestone focused on the younger people in the community. Um, but the idea of Bid Day is that all students that have completed their like most basic schooling could then have the opportunity to be bid on by patrons that are going to like support their further education. And And Morgan really wants to go because it doesn't sound like she gets out much. And she's lonely, of course. And she, like, just wants to be around people her own age. And also, like, it sounds like it's this big, exciting thing. And her dad's very clear, like, you know, as you know, there's no point in you getting an education. So, like, don't 
get excited that there's any reason that you would mm-hmm. be part of this. But she gets to go. And I love like all of these scenes in the book that focus on big events. I just think they're really well done and like the way the author describes all the people coming together and again like the process around it. Maybe I'm just boring, but I love when <laughs> books like kind of re- reveal the logistics behind things and like the process and how it all came together and like what boxes people have to check off in order to get there. I don't know. I love all of that and we get that a little bit in bid day. And then this really funny thing happens. Mm-hmm. Morgan gets a bid. And then she gets another bid. And then she gets a third bid and a fourth bid. Mm. And everybody in town, like, knows that she's cursed. And everybody yeah. blames her for everything. So people are like, WTF, why is Morgan Crow setting all these records yeah. for getting they're four like bids? super angry. People yeah. are pissed. Because their own yeah. kids, like, are only getting maybe one bid. A lot of kids don't get bids at all. And her dad mm-hmm. is maybe, like, the most upset. Which, mm-hmm. this is when I really start to be like, okay, you really do suck. Like, I didn't like you. You seemed pretty cold. But, like, you're an asshole. Because of all of the people there, like, he's the most angry that Morgan is, is being offered those opportunities. What did you make of the way that he was portrayed in this scene? Yeah, I mean, this was when it was just, like... Okay, if you think that she's going to die in a year, what is the harm of just, like, letting her accept these bids? And I don't know if he was just, like, one, of course he's looking at, like, his political future, but then looking at how would something happen and he would have to pay out more money if, like, this big, you know, if she did accept a bid and then something traumatic happened and then he was responsible for for finance. But I think for him, like, he was just looking at, like, how does this reflect upon him? And looking out in the audience, you knew that all these people are super angry that she got not one but four bids. And so that, like, goes back to him. And so then it's, like, you know, hurting his political status. But I just felt like there was no need to get that angry and upset about something that, you know, would give his daughter some hope. But it just further solidified, like, how horrible of a dad he is. And he only thinks about, like, his political agenda. Well, and sort of, like— trying to think about things in his shoes a little bit and I hadn't this hadn't crossed my mind before you and I started talking but I you know assuming he was a good guy which we know he's not I can see how anybody who's in the public eye in any world anybody who's like trying to be a successful politician would sort of bristle at any moment when maybe people would question whether or not like their children were being afforded unfair opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure like real life politicians are conscious of this a lot. Like you never want to look like your kids are excelling beyond other students or beyond their peers, like just because their parents have money or power or status or whatever. So I think like all other things being equal, I sort of understand maybe his sensitivity to it because it didn't really seem to make sense to him. Um, We don't get an idea that like Morgan has exactly been like out there, like spending time with a lot of people who might be her sponsor. So it is sort of weird, obviously, that like she's getting all of these bids. But um, I think that like trying to be sympathetic to him for a sec and then I'm going to not be sympathetic to him ever again. I understand why his initial reaction is like, this is a bad look. Even if she's not a cursed child, even if people weren't constantly talking about her as the scapegoat for all of their problems, this is like maybe not the best image for somebody who's a politician and like trying to make things Mm -hmm. right with their public. But obviously, like he kind of takes it to a whole other level and true like what does he care if she has some opportunities for a year like you said I mean what's the worst case scenario she's gonna die Mm -hmm. in a year as far as he knows so just let her have like an interesting year at least like what does it hurt Mm -hmm. he's just so angry and I am curious I'd like to know more about what happened to her mom because I think this is sort of a trope in a lot of like fairy tales um where if there's sort of like a teen girl who has then been raised by her 
her dad alone or a dad and a new partner. Um, often the girl seems to be the one who's responsible for the mother's death in some way. And so then the father mm-hmm. like resents her forever. And I wonder if like, that's also part of what's hardened her dad. Like I want to know more about what their family was like before and like what his relationship with her mom was like. I know that these are things mm-hmm. we might never learn about, but again, like just trying to learn more about why he's such an asshole. Like maybe it's just because he like really was hurt by the sudden loss of his wife. I don't know. Well, and he could, like, if we want to give him, like, a little bit of kindness, like, he could have thought, like, the whole thing was a joke and maybe, like, how dare you dangle these, like, offerings in front of my daughter who obviously, like, can't accept them. So, like, I mean, I think he could have, like, multiple motives. I just think he, like, comes off so yucky. Yeah, it's not a good look. But she goes ahead and she's like, I'm going to take these meetings. That's sort of the next part of this bid day process is Mm -hmm. you then go and meet your sponsors and kind of find out if you're interested and whatever opportunity they're offering. So she goes to these meetings and there's this guy named Mr. Jones sitting there who's this like tall, skinny, youngish man who mm-hmm. tells her that she's being offered an apprenticeship with Ezra Squall, who's like the most powerful man in the realm. He is the one who controls wonder and wonder is kind of this like somewhat vaguely explained electrical or like power source that it seems to me Ezra mm-hmm. Squall has like figured out how to channel into like actual useful power for people who live mm-hmm. here and Ezra Squall is this like very mysterious guy Morgan doesn't know much about him but it doesn't seem like anybody does and Mr. Jones is basically like not only does he want you to be his apprentice but he wants you to be his heir like he thinks that you are the only one who can take on his industry and like really like continue his legacy so we're going to teach you everything you need to know to step into that role and then when he dies or like steps down you got it all which Mm -hmm. is like very tempting to a girl like Morgan who has basically spent her whole life being told that like she's not worth anything and is biding her time until she dies but she doesn't even get a chance to like make a decision about it because then somebody from like the bid day office somebody from the government comes in is like JK the whole thing with you getting four bids was a joke Mm -hmm. it was all a prank sorry about that we're done like you don't actually need to take these meetings my initial thought was that maybe her dad had like paid somebody off to say that to her Mm. um I don't think we ever find out like if that was real though yeah I don't I don't know like how that exactly played out or how they found out but like when she turns around and Mr. Jones is gone she's like oh I guess it really was a joke yeah and so I just go back to my really sad life right well, and at that point, it's like it probably would have been better for her not to go at all, which is such a terrible thing because at least she had yeah. the experience of going and like meeting new people and seeing something new. But she's basically like, well, I had my hopes up and now it's ruined. So now I guess I'll just like go await my final year of life. And then we have this like very solemn moment when the clock in the town square kind of area changes. Um, And the realm has this clock that it's not like our normal clocks that dictate like Mm -hmm. hours. It sort of shows what part of an age you're in. So again, we're working on like a totally different sense of time here. Mm -hmm. And there's like a little bit of a learning curve with that kind of thing in this book. And I feel like I got a generally like solid grip on it by the end of the book. But as you mentioned, there's these like ages that are the equivalent of 12 years. So it's the cycle that it seems like the realm is going through where every 12 years things kind of like refresh and Mm -hmm. the age switches at an event called eventide. And as you mentioned before, Morgan was born on the last eventide and when the next one comes, she's going to die. So she basically has like the opportunity to live for one age. And all the experts have predicted that this particular age that they're in is going to last 12 years. It seems to me that that's like the average, but maybe it can change a little bit but we are on the 11th year or on like the eve of the 11th year of this age and while Morgan and her dad are 
in town for bid day, they see that the clock changes because the clock face colors change like based on what season of the age we're in. And we can see that it's actually becoming eventide on year 11 of the age, Mm -hmm. which is like a pretty big deal for Morgan. Um, A lot of people are like ready to celebrate it. And the people that aren't ready to celebrate it are sort of like, oh, who cares? Like, it's just a new age. But she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I actually really care because I think I'm going to die now. Um, And so suddenly, like, she's lost a whole year on what she thought Mm -hmm. was going to be her life. And that is so sad. Like, she's just this 10-year-old girl. And she already had, like, done a pretty good job, I think, of accepting a dark fate. And now Mm -hmm. that the whole thing has been thrown off even more, it's just so terrible. Yeah. And she says in the book, like, she was cheated. And she is. And I do think, like, kind of going back to what you said, like, she's done a good job with handling it. Like, you see that in the letters that she writes. Like, she has to write those apology letters. And you see as, like, she's scratching out. She's like, I'm so sorry that you thought it was a good idea, like, as an 80-year-old to, like, go ice skating or whatever. And she, like, crosses it out. So I think she was able to kind of, like, make the best of her situation. And then when the clock turns, she's like, what the hell? I was supposed to have another year. And now I'm, like, going to die and just great. And then they go back home, right? And they're just having this dinner. Oh, so weird. That dinner was so weird. And I think this is, like, when the stepmom is, like, fully introduced. Yeah, Ivy. And Ivy, yeah. And she's, like, they're, like, eating this really awkward dinner that's Morgan's, like, favorite foods, which like her dad doesn't like. Of course. Like, her dad doesn't like her favorite foods, but, like, they've done it because, you know, she's, like, going to die. Right. How inconvenient and for him that, like, he has to eat Ivy, food that he doesn't like. <laughs> yeah. Ivy just, on this night, like, that's supposed to be about Morgan, even if it's really sad, she, like, announces a pregnancy. It's so screwed up. Well, because Morgan's, like, wondering, is anybody going to say a few words to honor me yes. knowing that I'm going to die? And then her dad, like, I think explicitly is, like, I don't have anything to say. Like, let's just move forward. And then Ivy, who it seems is, like, pretty new to the family, so Morgan doesn't quite have a read on her it's like actually I'd like to say something and so Morgan has this moment of hope where she's like oh like maybe Ivy knows and cares about me more than I know like I'm finally gonna have my moment they're gonna honor me and Ivy instead has this like whole speech about like I'm pregnant and maybe it'll be a boy and like she says a bunch of really insensitive things about how like this is actually perfect timing because like we're losing one child but we're gonna get another one like what an idiot like truly how stupid are you Yeah, it was, like, just so clueless. And you already know that she kind of doesn't fit into the family, Ivy, because she, like, looks a lot different than everyone else in the household. She's new, and the dad is, like, has this new wife, maybe just for, like, political reasons. But she says, like, one life may be snuffed out, but another is being brought into the world. And so it's not even, like, nice, a nice way to, like, put that someone's dying. And so the grandma, like gets upset so the grandma's sitting at the table and she's like are you like kidding me you know I love love the grandma like she's the best she is and I know I can't remember the like the maids described her like Morgan here over here is like the maids describing her as like do you remember the bird Uh, oh yeah 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 they were just talking about her I'll I'll be very honest I didn't write down as many quotes from this book just because it was so long so I don't have as many like direct excerpts as I normally would um because I was like trying not to like let myself get bogged down I just like wanted to keep reading but I know what you're talking about the maid was talking about how she's like kind of a scary bird of some sort like she sees everything nothing gets by her um we learn later on that she like really 
really likes to hang out in essentially like the family mausoleum. Like she's a dark character and what's already a very dark world. So she's like the most goth of all the gothic people in this realm. I love the grandma and the grandma just is like, are you kidding me? Like you're not going to bring this up on this day that my granddaughter is going to die. She doesn't even want to bring up the word like death or dead or anything like that because she just wants to like eat the dinner in peace. And so I don't know. I just thought it was like super awkward. Ivy's like clueless. You get a little bit more sense of like the grandmother and the dad's just kind of like sitting there. I don't think he approves of what Ivy did either, but he's also not like stopping her. He's just kind of like, okay. Yeah, he's just kind of like letting things move around him. I mean, I you get the sense that he all he cares about is like this next election. One of my favorite details of him, by the way, because I I have to mention it before we move on, is he has these two assistants that he hires, and he can't keep track of their names because he hires and fires them so often. So there's like constantly assistants coming and going, and so whichever two assistants he has at any given time, he just refers to as left and right because one of them Mm -hmm. sits on his left and one of them sits on his right. So like that's the kind of man we're dealing with, people. He sucks definitely so so after this weird dinner morgan is like you know kind of waiting to see what's gonna happen next and this other guy shows up and at first i thought maybe it was gonna be mr jones like when we find out that like some mysterious person has showed up at the house Mm -hmm. i thought maybe mr jones from bid day was gonna come back but it's this like redhead guy he's described as very tall very good looking he wears a lot of crazy colors and he shows Mm -hmm. up And I'm going to pull another Harry Potter comparison, but he's sort of our Hagrid. He's showing up on the eve of this, like, major milestone in Morgan's life, not only the night that we think she's going to die, but also the day that she turns 11. I believe Harry Potter also is turning 11 Mm -hmm. in the first book when Hagrid comes to take him away Mm -hmm. from the Dursleys. So, you know... It would have been cool if maybe she was at least turning a different age than Harry Potter yeah. had been. There were like yeah. a lot of sort of like specific overlaps. And this was the point where I had to sort of stop looking for them because I was like, you're going to put this whole book into a box. But his name is Jupiter North. And he explains that he was one of the anonymous bidders that had wanted to sponsor Morgan at bid day. And the opportunity that he is offering her is to be part of something called the Wondrous Society. And we learn a lot more about that later on. But for now, his pitch is basically like, I need to take you away from here so that we can like go about this business that I want to help you with. And Morgan's like kind of trying to explain like, no, like I'm like going to die tonight. So I don't know like that you should take me with you. Sort of a weird time for me. And then there's like this wild scene that I think we can best sum up as like, there's this very like physical manifestation of death uh, in the hunt of smoke and shadow. So Morgan mm-hmm. sees all of these animals that are made of smoke and shadow and they're chasing her. It's like really scary animals, really sort of like exactly what you might picture in a very spooky rendition of like your worst nightmare about death. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, here they are. They're coming to take me. And Jupiter like saves her from them and like gets her away from them. And they sort of like cheat death in this very physical form. And he also tricks Morgan's family into believing that she actually did die by like basically just sweet talking them. He has, we find out later, he has some like powers of persuasion and stuff. All of these people have interesting powers. This is a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. But um, he sort of like convinces the family that Morgan did die. Like everything is going to plan because sort of the best case scenario, as we find out later, is for Morgan to be able to like go live in this parallel universe and nevermore while things kind of continue the way they were at Crow Manor. Um, so Morgan's parents and grandmother are like, oh, like she did die. Like they see this sort of crumpled curtain on the ground, which they hilariously think is her dead body mm-hmm. because Jupiter tells them that it is. 
And uh, that's how Jupiter and Morgan leave them. So Morgan is now swept away. There's like this crazy um, sort of mechanical spider that they move around in um, and they jump through the clock face into this hole of the world of Nevermore. It feels like so shitty to describe that whole scene that way because it's so much more amazing than that. I know, yeah. (laughs) I feel like I can only do such like a mediocre task of explaining what Jessica Townsend did here, but that's sort of like the main overview yeah. of what happens. She cheats death in this very physical form. They escape. There's some like flying umbrellas going on. I loved that sort of um, parallel to Gilmore Girls. I jumped yes. in Jump Jack. Loved that moment. So now, yeah, now we're Nevermore. I, I feel so, it feels like offensive to do what I just did to this amazing world, to boil it down to like a minute and a half of explanation. So I'm yeah. sorry. I'm really sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they like, you just need to read it. But it is like, super good and like it just shows how brave she is to just trust this guy that comes into her home and he's like he basically just says she's like i'm gonna die and he's like but are you dead now and do you want to die and she's like well no and so then she just trusts him and then they are in nevermore and like she's kind of confused and overwhelmed and it's like a magical place and the color has been turned on and it's it's so magical but we immediately get the idea that something funky is going on with jupiter because they have to like enter the gates of nevermore And there's like a gatekeeper kind of character who is asking for identification of this girl that he's never seen before because Jupiter's trying to get Morgan in. And Jupiter tricks him by showing him like a bunch of sort of trash from his pocket and the gatekeeper waves him through. So Morgan is like, hmm, not sure what that's about, but whatever, I guess I'll follow. And she's happy that she did because they Mm -hmm. walk into this amazing world. The whole setting of the Hotel Deucalion, which is the hotel that Jupiter owns, it just offers like the most amazing playground for these characters. This is where it gets a little Hogwartsian because there are these like amazing rooms. There's like the smoke room um, in this hotel where like at any given time of day, there's these amazing smells just being piped Mm -hmm. in through smoke. There's like a giant cat named Finestra who is like in charge of housekeeping <laughs> and the species is called the Magnificat, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fen becomes like a very major part of the story yes. going through. There's an amazing chandelier, like just the descriptions of the whole building. I think this is where we see like this Wizard of Oz-esque kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. I found a bunch of, as I said, like references to the fact that as soon as you get into Nevermore, you go from like the black and white worlds of Kansas to like Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland kind of setting. It's really freaking cool. And again, like it's so hard to do a book like this justice in a one hour conversation because I feel like I'm skipping over so much but the gist of what happens now is that Morgan finds out that Jupiter has brought her here because he really wants to sponsor her to be a new member of the Wondrous Society which is this like Mm -hmm. very highly esteemed organization that he's a part of only a handful of people get admitted every year and in order to be admitted you have to go through a series of trials and every year there's Mm -hmm. four trials three of which change from year to year and then there's always a fourth and final trial called the show trial that's essentially like a really hardcore talent show and you have to successfully complete each trial to move on to the next And the kids that succeed in all four get admitted to the Wondrous Society. And there are 500 candidates this year, um, and Mm -hmm. only nine are going to get through, which Morgan is like, okay, like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is stupid. Like, there's no way. Um, Especially because there's this, like, sort of key point that all of the candidates are expected to have that she doesn't have. Everybody's talking about having something called a knack, which is basically like a special talent. And all of the other candidates are really openly discussing their knack and asking their peers what their knacks are. And more 
Morgan is like, I am not aware that I have a knack. Um, mm-hmm. And Jupiter, <laughs> Jupiter's like, oh no, like don't worry, I got it. Like it's fine. Like you just have to get through the other three trials. Once we get to the show trial, like I'll help you. It'll be under control. Like let's do something else. What were your like thoughts on Jupiter? Did you trust him? I did trust him. But at the same time, I was just like, you have got to tell her what is going to happen. Yeah. Like, please give her some more information because she's learning all of this stuff. Like, she didn't even know about the knack or about the trials until, like, the people in the hotel were, like, talking to her. Well, she so didn't even know like, that, like, the region that she's gone to is real. Like, they're in this whole other region of the realm yeah. that, like, she's literally never heard of. Yeah. This is all brand new territory. He's giving her a tour of the hotel. And in the middle, he's, like, getting taken away to go do some business. Because, you know, like, from what they're, like, explaining about him, he's, like, super, super important. Everyone, like really likes him and he has all these jobs and responsibilities. And so then as she's taking the tour with like Martha, one of the hotel maids, that's when she's learning like, okay, wait, I have to have this knack. I don't have a knack. Is my knack that I'm cursed? Like that doesn't seem very good. So the Jupiter character, I do, I loved him, you know, but he also like super frustrated me. Like if you could just be upfront and at the end, like I think it all kind of gets like his reasoning becomes clear But I just feel like she just put so much trust into him. And I think like everyone in the hotel was kind of like, hey, if he if he promised this, then he's going to do that because he's my friend. And that's what they do. Like friends like have your back. And what I thought was interesting with Jupiter was like when Mr. Jones was talking to her about the apprenticeship, he offered her like power. And when Jupiter offers her the wondrous society, like opportunity, he's, he says like, he's offering her like family and friendship. Mm. And so like that, I think pulled Morgan so much more. Like that was what she'd craved her whole life was just like this community. And I think that's what like Jupiter like embodied for her. So like, although like, I mean, I found him hilarious because like his clothes and his like mannerisms and his whole personality, like was just, it was hard to be like, to stay mad at him. And I think like you see like Morgan doing that, like getting caught up, like the whole, he's trying to give her a nickname and she's like, no, my name is like Morgan. And he's like, okay, Mog. Right. So like for the first, like he'll call her that and she's like Morgan. The whole book. And she goes along with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think he's got to be like pretty persuasive and everyone loves him. And he's like highly respected because he's never taken a candidate before. Yeah. He's like this wealthy, successful bachelor type that has, he's like the equivalent of like if some like 40s, it's like if George Clooney had never married a mall and like, now, you know, in his 50s, was like, I'm going to adopt a child all on my own. Like, it's kind of that equivalent is sort of how I see it. Like, this very influential, well-respected, well-liked, attractive, wealthy guy who seems to have never had any interest in settling down suddenly has an inspiration to, like, have a child, sponsor a child, nurture something, um, and sort of put that child on the path that he was on. Um, So it's, like, a big deal. Like, people are paying attention to the fact that Jupiter has done this. And I think that your point about the two very different paths that Mr. Jones and Jupiter offer Morgan, that's a really interesting point and one that I hadn't thought about before, but it's two, like, totally opposite escape routes to, like, what she's dealing with at Crow mm-hmm. Manor. Like she can either try to escape by becoming powerful and rich or she can try to escape by like finding people that care about her 
And it is interesting that that's what ultimately appeals. And I think that like through all of her doubts about whether or not she's even cut out to try to join the society, what we keep coming back to with her is like the promises that she's hearing from all the people that are part of it who are like, once you're in, like we are all brothers and sisters in the society. We're going to have your back. Like you're going to have a community Mm -hmm. all over the world. And it just like broke my heart for her that like, that's all it took for her to trust these people that she'd never met. Like she didn't need to know mm-hmm. anything about them. She didn't really even feel like she needed that much more information about like the actual organization. All she needed to hear was like a few sentences about being accepted as a friend and family member. And she's like, great, I'll do whatever you ask. Yeah. And I think she was just like relieved that no one was looking at her in the way that everyone else in like um, Crow Manor had or in her, in like the, what is it? The, the Republic. Or yeah. What, yeah, the Republic. Mm-hmm. So I think she was just ha- like, finally like, oh good, no one's looking at me like I'm going to like kill something or, you know, cause a flood. And then they're all being super nice and this is what I've wanted my whole entire life. And now I live in this like sweet hotel yeah. that, you know, and the bedroom uh-huh. that like changes to fit her like needs yeah, day to day, it's like different beds depending on like what she what makes her more comfortable and like different decor shows up as the bedroom like gets yeah. to know her better. And I also think like any time we see a character like this, and I guess it's part of the hero's journey. Like it's so important in a book like this for the protagonist to have nothing to lose in order for yeah. them to just like trust. Um, and she has nothing to lose. She thought that she was going to be dead days ago. Like she thought that mm-hmm. her life was over. And even if her life hadn't been over, like she would have been living in this miserable life with her terrible parents. And so she like actually has nothing to lose. And that makes it that much easier for her to just like roll with what's going on and nevermore, which is like key to the whole premise so yeah she's like kind of making herself comfortable and nevermore i definitely want to call out this interesting like immigration kind yes. of plot and i think it's interesting because if we think about the timeline of all of this though the book published in 2017 which means it was probably finished in 2016 in order for it to go to press and like so much of this like immigration storyline felt to me not to get too political but it did feel to me like like a slap in trump's face a little bit because the whole like idea is that Morgan is in Nevermore illegally. Like we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about how Jupiter shows some like bullshit paperwork to the guard in order to get her admitted. And she's not really supposed to even be a candidate for Nevermore if she's not from there. And some of the other candidates have like called the police on Morgan yes. knowing that she's not like a local and they're now identifying her as an illegal. Like that's how they're calling That's how they're identifying her. And they're saying like, you're an illegal Um, which is just, like, such gross terminology in any world. And the way that Jupiter is, like, trying to reason with the police beyond just being like, oh, no, like, she's from here. Like, he's lying. But he also is sort of just trying to, like, push this this idea that, like, we're actually trying to bring in, like, really brilliant, wonderful people to help Nevermore and to, Mm -hmm. like, promote our society. And if you aren't going to let, quote-unquote, illegals in to be part of organizations like the Wondrous Society, like, you're going to be doing us a disservice on a bigger level, which is, like, so parallel to, like, these immigration conversations that we're having in America. And I don't know how much of it is, like, you know really politically motivated on the author's part. She's not American. Um, I would imagine there's some similarities that go on in conversations about immigration in other countries. But to me, mm-hmm. it just felt like a whole commentary on the immigration debate in the U.S. Yeah, I don't think you could like read it and not be like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to see some parallels. But like the language that was used by this 
like Officer Flintlock or Inspector Flintlock. Like he's like, illegals are plagues. Mm-hmm. Like you've brought in a plague. This is what you've done. Like this is horrible. And um, what I was kind of confused about, like a, like getting away from the parallel, was just more like the logistics of the police and Nevermore seem to know about the Republic, hmm. but the Republic don't know about Nevermore. So oh. like. In the book, he's like, you've brought in a dirty illegal smuggled from the traitorous Republic under the cover of night. So it's like, I was thinking like, okay, well, what did the Republic do that was so traitorous? Like, how do you know about where they came from? Like, it wasn't just Mm. like an illegal from like a different, you know, like if Nevermore is made up of, it's Nevermore is like the, uh, like one part, one pocket of the free state. Right. Right. And the and then the Republic is like a totally different country. Yeah. Now that that you mentioned it, the geography is a little bit funky because I guess I was thinking of it as like Nevermore is just like more of like an underground world or like the free state has kind of become this underground world. So they're aware of other regions that maybe the other regions aren't as aware of these underground regions. But now that you mention it, like it does seem like maybe there's some background. Maybe there was like some weird bad blood between the two. I wonder if we'll learn more about that in other books. Yeah, I would like to like... I'm hoping that she'll pick that up. And I think like probably everything she did in here was intentional that we would get some more background, but I found that interesting, but like, yeah, there's definitely parallels. And I think like it could lead to good. I don't know. I always think like of books and like my teacher, like cat, but like bringing up like parallels, like, you know, like look in this fantasy book and what can we compare like to what's going on today? And is this language appropriate? So especially like where I work, like it's so diverse. Like, would you want to be called an illegal? Should you talk to people this way? No, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say a big fat no, but the immigration stuff was pretty on the nose and there was a lot of it and it kept coming up like really through the end of the book because Morgan's like number one fear is that she's going to get deported. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately I think that's a fear that a lot of kids like understand all too well. Yeah. I think like this, even and like this is what's perfect because like there's a lot of um, realistic fiction for middle grades that are like coming out now and it's there's some like great books that kids can read but then sometimes like what these fantasy books do it's like there's still major topics that can be applied and it kind of takes away like some of the scariness that like realistic fiction does because it's like well this is fantasy and so it's really fun but then you can still hit on the like main topics so like if you had a kid or um you know your students that are maybe facing these problems of their parents are undocumented. Like they have this fear. And so like, this would be a good book to be like, I don't know, addressing the issue without being like, here's like a real book that happened. And I don't, does that make sense? Like it it totally does. We were talking about this a little bit in the scary stories to tell in the dark episode where it's like, as a kid, is it scarier to read about things that are happening in the real world or things that might be like worse in some ways but that are fake like is it scarier to read about like skeletons and ghosts or is it scarier to read about like real world things like a school shooting or um I don't know like anything that would be an actual threat to a kid um and I think there's always that discussion to be had and also depends on the kid and the age group and everything but I think like a book like this does a good job of balancing because it's not a real world. I mean, this is like very foreign to us and it's like fantastical and whimsical, but there's this like very real problem going on that is not altogether that different from something that happens in real life. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and like speaking of very real problems, her loneliness and her isolation at the beginning of the book and the crave for like just love and attention, like there are tons of kids that this is what they feel like, especially in middle school. Like middle schoolers are just like hot messes of insecurity and needing to like feel that someone loves them and someone cares for them. And this book is so good because it's like, look, this girl was like cursed and she ends up like in this world and there's someone for everyone and you just have to like, you know, have a little bit of trust and find your like your people. And once you find your people, like it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's such a commentary, I think on self-esteem and we're not going to have time to get into how it all works out with the trials and whether or not she gets into the wonder society. But I'm kind of fine with that because I want people to read this book if they haven't and like mm-hmm. see how the author pulls all of this off. But ultimately like the journey that Morgan takes in Nevermore is one of like a kid who thinks that she has no value, a kid who's literally been like told her whole life that she's going to die. And so Mm -hmm. nothing that she does matters and nobody's ever going to like her and anything that she does actually hurts people and like ruins lives. Um, Like that's been the narrative for her life for 11 years to a kid who like actually is kind of getting an idea that she might be valuable to a very special group of people and is like battling self-doubt about how that could possibly be true and like not understanding how she's even qualified to be there Um, and we see over the course of like 500 plus pages how she finds a different kind of self-worth in what happens in Nevermore and so again it's like taking a very real world concern about self-esteem and as you mentioned loneliness and like finding your right group and blowing it up into this really interesting fantasy story definitely and I just like loved that within like days the hotel guests and workers like have her back yeah and they stand up for her and they're protecting her and then she finds like true friendship with Hawthorne like one of the other guys going through the trials with her and when she's he's like asking her like well what's your knack and she's like I don't think I have one and you know so like do you still want to be my friend so sad and He's like, yeah, of course. Who cares about these, like, alliances we're supposed to be making? Like, if, you know. Right. And so, like, and I love that, like, sometimes, like, as kids, that's, like, all it takes is just, like, do you want to be my friend? And then your friends. And that's, like, what she needed. And she has this, like, this person. And it's just, like, nice. It's nice to see her, like, have this instant friend. And they go through all these things together and they have each other's back. I think she even says that at one point where she's like, if I, I'm at this networking event, like she's supposed, she's supposed to be trying to meet all of these other candidates. And I think she says something to the effect of like, do I just go up to somebody and ask them to be my yeah. friend? Yeah. <laughs> Which like I totally felt in middle school and I still feel sometimes like when I'm at a networking event. What do you think like overall this book does really successfully, especially compared to some of the older books that we talk about on the podcast or like even some classics that are close to your heart? Obviously it's a little different with a book like this because because it is so much more about like world building and story mm-hmm. and we've touched on the immigration piece but do you think there are other parts of this book that maybe give you hope about the kind of progress that is being made in YA in middle grade yeah I mean I think like it's hard because it like you said like fantasy world building it's but just like the strong character that Morgan is like as a young girl for the trials she does them on her own yeah. for, the, for the most part and so like I loved that this main character went into the trial on her own. I think that's speaking to, like, you know, in other books that I, I mean, as middle grades, like, there's usually, like, a sidekick, and they're all kind of figuring it out, or maybe the main character leans on someone else a little bit more. But with Morgan, and, like, what I love about this this main character is that she's on her own for a lot of it, like, at least, like, the, the trial parts. 
And so it shows girls can do it too. So I like that part. But I mean, I just thought the character development was really good and she's not perfect. And I like that. Like a lot of, I don't know, a lot of the older characters from like books that I remember, like they're just like, I don't know, they looked perfect. And that's not what, like, Morgan does not look perfect. She's got doubts. She's got insecurities. And she comes from, like, like a dysfunctional family, which I think is a good topic to hit on sometimes. Yeah. My prevailing thought about this book in terms of, like, what it means going forward for this, like, kid-lit world, it just, like, made me really happy that, like, we got another series like this. You know, Harry mm-hmm. Potter is always going to be my number one. Um, and I think also that's, like, just what I had at the right age. I would imagine there's a lot of kids that might feel the way I did about Harry Potter, about Nevermore, because it's coming to them at the right time. Mm-hmm. It really, like, made my heart so happy thinking about the fact that, like, there's this new series that's going to, like, give kids of this generation the feeling that I had about Harry Potter. Because I think this book series has the potential to hold up in the same way and obviously there's going to be like major movies made around the book and I just loved like the idea that this is going to be like a new sensation for kids that made me um it made me like nostalgic for my own experience with series like this growing up and I'm glad I had the chance to read it it is a good book what else have you been reading lately that you would recommend to listeners doesn't have to be YA or middle grade anything that you've been reading and loving is cool Okay. I finished a couple weeks ago, The Flat Share. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've seen it on Bookstagram, but I haven't read it. It looks really fun. Yeah. This is another recommendation from my teacher friend that I like follow all her posts. Yeah. The Flat Share is based in England and it's like about a couple, like a, a man and a woman that share a flat and they share like the bed like it's a one bedroom and he works nights and she works days and they just like crisscross they only have communicated like in post-it notes throughout the almost the whole entire book and it's just like super cute it's like a romance like it's just like sweet and cute that sounds great yeah it's really good and then i read um the front desk it is middle grades it's by kelly yang have you heard of it i haven't front desk is like about this young girl that has immigrated with her family from China, like in the 90s, they moved to California and they like become hotel managers for this like kind of crummy hotel or motel in California. And the owner is just like a really nasty guy. So it's like her experience, kind of like being an immigrant in America and how the American dream is like, you're just going to be rich and you're going to have all these things. And it was like, that's not how her process was Hmm. and it's like loosely based on the author's life and it was really good I read it in the day that sounds great and important yeah well I will include links to both of your recommendations in the show notes for this episode as well as a link to Nevermore I'm hoping by the time this episode drops I will have read the second book in the series but Mm -hmm. I will keep you all posted I'm sure Alex thank you so much for joining me on New Reads November it was so fun talking with you all things Nevermore thank you for having me it was so much fun bye bye Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello SSRpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.